This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes! What is up, everybody? And welcome to Golasso. The very special Jamaica versus U.S. Men's National Team recap, which is being presented to you by Sonos Beam, the premium, the premium smart soundbar for TV, movies, music, gaming, and more. I was so excited to say it. I had to say it a few different times. So stay tuned for additional details about the Sonos Beam later in today's show. What is up, everybody? It's me, Jimmy Conrad, and Heath Pierce, your two favorite former U.S. Men's National Team players. We're partially deaf. From the incessant drone of Vuvuzelas. I actually have one, Heath. Yeah, bring your own. That's You didn't get the memo? That's unfortunate for you. And with a bittersweet taste in her mouth following Friday's delicious Dos Acero against Mexico, Heath and I are here to recap the U.S. Men's National Team's 1-1 draw against the Reggae Boys of Jamaica. Plus, Christina Uncle, our rules of the game expert, will be joining us. She'll be stopping by to discuss the puzzling decisions that, uh, let's face it, helped the U.S. men's national team escape Kingston with a point. Yes, you've got it right. Kay Golasso begins right now. Okay, what is up, everybody? How's it going? Now, Heath, before I throw it to you, I just want to state for the record that the blueprint for having success in any region around the world and qualifying for a World Cup is to win your home games and to get draws on the road. Today, we got a draw on the road, mm-hmm. but we didn't play particularly well. Right. Sometimes you could say, Heath, that's a great facet of a team, that they can grind out a result. And, and look at them. Didn't play well, still got a valuable point on the road. But because they came off Dos Cero, where the expectations of evolving and finding our best 11 were right there on the tips of our tongues. Even the haters had to stand up and say, Greg Berhalter, I guess, is doing it okay. Greg Berhalter had currency with the haters. It was his time to add to Mm -hmm. that deposit, more deposits in the bank account. And I don't know if he necessarily did it tonight, but I don't know if it was based on him this time. Maybe the players didn't show up. Before we get to... Christina Uncle, and she's going to come on to really break down some of the, the plays, very controversial plays or non-calls throughout the game. I want to hear your thoughts on this quickly, Heath Pierce. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. I think we were on a high from that Mexico game. It felt like we rounded a corner in terms of putting together, not a result against Mexico, uh, because that was surprising in itself. But when we saw the way in which they got the result, that was what was impressive, right? A more complete performance over time that was... Yeah, just more comprehensive from start to finish. Uh, granted, a few moments of, of weakness, but this was one where it was like a lot of moments of weakness, a lot of chaos playing right into the hands of an opponent. Granted, this is away from home, right. pitch difficulties, different climate, all these things that play into that. I, I understand that. But I was excited about Mexico, not because of a dose of Cero, but because of where we were and how we got that result. And this one just felt like it took us another step back to probably the more consistent theme in this World Cup qualifying. Having said that, we've got 15 points. Nothing to complain about there. It's good to be able to learn while getting results and whatnot. So, yeah, it's awesome. 
Okay. Well, we're on the same page then. You know what? I like when we're on the same page, but sometimes it's fun when we're not. Let's bring on Christina Uncle, everybody. We're definitely on the same page about bringing on one of the best in the business, the smartest, I would say, one of the smartest people I know. Wait, is she Aww. on right now? I can't yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want yeah. her to hear me. She's here right now. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Hi, Christina. How are you? So let's dive into this game, US Jamaica. Let's start backwards and talk about the Walker Zimmerman push uh, on the goal for Jamaica. It didn't, as much as this pains me to say, because we're friends with Walker Zimmerman, we think he's a great guy and a great player. I don't think that was a foul. No, no. And you know what? I, I think we all agree it wasn't a foul. And I like for me that like that kills me, right? You guys all have the back of your teammates and those who play who wear the crest. I always have the back of you know the referees, right? And I've been in their shoes, still do active refereeing, and I know what they're looking at and what they're feeling, but like here, you know, nothing supports that call. So, like, my heart gives because I think he actually, and it's ironic where angle is everything. You know, this is all a game about angles for referee. If he was two steps to the left, I think he truly thinks the guy fully pushed through with his arm, and that was right. not the case. So, it's, I just wish he hadn't because it's it's not a foul. It's is that foul. is that bad positioning on his part? Because one of the questions that I had was, it was one of those rare moments where it was just two players and there was actually a gap. And, you know, normally when you see that bustle in the box, it's like five or six players all crunched up to each other. When you see a player fly, you kind of go, oh, something happened there. Do you think that that isolated moment it helped his confidence in making that call and the fact that there wasn't other players around him? It didn't seem like it was crowded or chaotic that he had a decent view. Was he was he in the right position from a from a body positioning standpoint? Yeah. So, I mean, proximity is there. He's close to the play, right? One could argue he's looking at it, but like one of our biggest things when we recommend for referees, especially from a corner kick is the, the reality is the players aren't staying still. As soon as that ball is hit, everyone's moving, right? Someone's going front post, someone's going back post, someone's going short. The referee as well needs to move and it's nothing crazy, right? Sometimes it's two steps to the right quickly, two steps to the left quickly to basically get that in-between angle from where the ball is about to drop between those two players. So literally, I think if he had taken two steps to the right, it wouldn't have been what he thought it was right you're calling any kind of foul in the attacking third whether it's going in or it's going out you're making that big and you're making sure that it's something that's real juicy right <laughs> and we're not calling something that's small that's trifling that arguably we wouldn't even call in the middle of the field if it was coming off of a goal you know a goalkeeper punt so I think he just didn't have the best angle for it he's definitely going to want that uh, when he gives it back but then again, at the same time, it's not necessarily a clear and obvious error. And I know there's some people saying, what? Like, if no one's agreeing that it's, you know, not a foul and uh, that it should have stood as a goal for low, then, yeah, but still, it's such in that gray area that that's going to fall in the referee's decision every time, even if we were to have VAR in this game. Okay, I was going to say, VAR is obviously a big uh, talking point in CONCACAF yeah. because there is no VAR. So I have a bit of a layered question for you Christina one would be re with regard to VAR does it even look at that play and then secondly do you feel like VAR has to be in all stadiums in, yeah. in for every single game or do you think that the, the stadiums that could have it should use it yeah so so the first one you know uh, uh effectively would VAR have looked at it yes the video re referee would have looked at it we look automatically at every goal whether given or not given here right so in this play Whistle would have occurred after the ball's in the back of the net. We would have taken a quick look to see whether or not it wouldn't, uh, it, it would have, it should have stood. But here, because it doesn't reach and like clear and obvious, and I like to remind people like that standard is so incredibly high, right? We're saying like 95%. There's no way, right? Here, you can argue a little for the referee in that component. Not a great argument, but you can make an argument. So that's why I wouldn't touch. But then when we talk about, you know, 
Should VAR be implemented into World Cup qualifiers? I think the answer is undoubtedly yes, right? Um, here, I personally think that there was a, um, and just kind of knowing a little bit of the background, that you had to get it certified. Every single stadium and every nation mm -hmm. that qualifies must have a certified stadium. And what people mean, you know, I don't think people understand how, not complicated, but really time consuming and the safety and precautions. When we have those camera angles, it's not something as simply as throwing up a camera, right? A GoPro on, a, on the goalpost and calling it a day, right? Everything has to be calibrated. So basically if I'm looking at low angle left or mid angle, right, all of them are in sync together. So that requires a, uh, one of the certified uh, video, uh, video referee or uh, VAR um, technicians to be able to, that have already been uh, IFAB and FIFA approved, to come into these facilities and allow them and make sure that not only is the quality good, but also have test games. You have to have a, I think it's about either three to five test games, and it could vary and it could change depending upon who's present, who's not to certify it. So I, I do think you need equality around, right? I, obviously, mm -hmm. Canada, Mexico, and the US, you know, have facilities to do it. But every other, you know, stadium in every other country at least needs one. And I think that shows the investment the CONCACAF region needs to have um, and the FIFA region needs to have to respect the fact that these games mean something. And so there needs to be an investment to ensure that at least every country has a FIFA VAR certified stadium so that we don't have this kind of a taboo. Because the only two federations who didn't have VAR in these next rounds were CONCACAF and um calf the african nations right everyone else had var which is a bit mind-blowing <laughs> christina i have a, I have a, a question and a follow-up on that when when we had you on hq just a little bit ago or no sorry when you were on maybe it was the 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 i don't know where we had you you're I'm on all of them yeah <laughs> but you you spoke about you spoke about the the difficulties of referees now being used to var is that a is that an oversight in terms of training and repreparing for matches that don't have VAR, knowing that you have that in in the background? Does that change the way you approach the game? Because it certainly feels like you have a little bit of a safety net to keep your flag down or raise your flag or make a call, knowing that on the back end you could change something should you mm -hmm. have it. You go with your gut and know that there's something that could back you up should you be considerably wrong or something you missed. Does it? Do you think that 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 changes the the ability to be sharp or present if you're a referee that's used to having VAR on uh, to support you? Personally, no. And I know everyone uses the word safety net, that VAR is a safety net. When you're going into games with the VAR, because it's essentially an extra tool, right? So referees gradually, as technology increased, we got beeper flags, right? So all of a sudden you could beat me instead of, you know, me having to look to the right every time to see the flags up. That gave me that notification. Then we ended up evolving in technology to getting uh, communication systems at the highest level, right? And now that's now gradually coming into, you know, the semi-pro game and the collegiate game. We're now finally getting that technology. These are just tools that we can use and VAR is that. It's not essentially a safety. We're going in saying I'm officiating the game as I would without VAR with the small tendencies, right? When it comes down to protocol for assistant referees, right? Instead of raising their flag, those little things, right? Not letting play restart until I get a check complete in my ear and or slash I recommend an on-field review from the video referee. So going into each one of these games, it's merely we are always having those pre-games, especially here when some of the teams are refereeing with each other and don't referee each other very often, right? We had a referee called Duran on here, Costa Rican referee, who's working with uh, Guatemalan officials. And although we're at tournaments together, we work with each other in the sense of video clip analysis and on-field training, it doesn't mean we work together continuously on these games. So before every game, you have a very in-depth, thorough pregame to make sure that 
everyone's on the same page when it comes to not just the game tactics, but also how are you going to use the technology to assist us on it? So um, I think if anything, um, and I know definitely here in Major League Soccer, we went into using VAR saying, let me referee like I normally do and be, and it actually reinforced and showed us confidently that we get the majority of the decisions correct. The statistics mm-hmm. are out there. So um, it, it's not a safety blanket. It's essentially there just for the game critical decisions. Um, and like I said, it's just a tool for us to get those correct. So I know what I officiate with it. I just used it recently in the SEC championship. It's not a safety blanket for me. It's a matter of here's my decision. I'm confident. This is what I'm calling. Um, but if I have the ability to in the case there's something that's that glaring yeah perfect i'll definitely tap into that well christina we appreciate your time this level of insight about this side of the game is is uh really important i think for not only the audience to know but for heath and i as we try to inform our opinions about what's actually happening behind the scenes well, jimmy for- doesn't have an unbiased opinion because he just said that you were the smartest person <laughs> and all you know throughout these I'm- glowing compliments and I didn't know she I was on. I would never say that, that to her face. I would never say that to her face. But now that she was on, I'm just kidding. Of course I would. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And when you're also smart, you also know when you're wrong. You're able to evolve and grow that's from it true. as well, there too. We so that's nice, the only way nice. you get smarter. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some of the tackles that came in, actually, now yeah. that we're working our way backwards. Because I feel like this referee had made a decision that as long as the players are being able to walk after these tackles, <laughs> they're fine. We don't need to give anybody red cards. Let's keep the... Let's keep the reds in. Let's make sure that everybody stays 11 v 11. I don't want to influence the game too much. Do you think those types of things impact it a little bit? Yeah. Also knowing that that these players, well, whether it's true or not, they do have a bit of a reputation for flying around with some tackles. And and we've played against uh, Jamaica before where, you know, I've had two feet up around my waist before. And it's just like, yeah, it's part of their charm. It's what they do, you know. But but do you think that factors into to the referee in, in their decision making? Uh, you know, I, it's... Referee in CONCACAF is a special thing. And uh, the reason I say it like that is because you're dealing with teams and have different toxic tactics, different style of play. And especially when they play back in country at pro, mm-hmm. they are, they're in professional leagues. There's a certain amount of or style of play that's acceptable for mm-hmm. that culture, mm-hmm. for that flow, for that play. And then you bring that and you drop it into international soccer, right, where it's not necessarily accepted. Um, so some of that, when I come back to st- team uh, tactics and strategies and just truly style of play, is something that's considered by the officials, knowing that, you know, in one game, are you going to fully be able to curb what is an institutionalized, uh, you know, style of manner, style of play? The answer is no. But at the same time, where do we take that and accept that, but also make sure that people don't get hurt? Because our mm-hmm. number one, um, you know, our number one job on the field, and I tell people all the time, I'm here for you as a player. My goal is to make sure nobody breaks their legs. Um, that I'm glad that in many of these tackles, because like I mentioned, none of them had yet hit red card, but dang, they were orange, right? We were like borderline that if you gave red, we, referee world would support it right? <laughs> like it wasn't there yet, but if you had given it, we would support it. And basically, uh, especially, I think there was two or three different plays that would have supported. It. I saw a highlight reel of all of them combined together. Um, but, you know, ultimately I, that might've been the referee's game plan or, you know, case of first impression of seeing that type of style of play. Uh, you know, I benefited and kind of coming up in my league and refereeing in the Miami area. So I would have Croatians versus, you know, the Argentinians, right? Or I'd have the Haitians mm-hmm. versus the Jamaicans. And you just learn real quick what's acceptable, what's not. Um, and so I'm glad that at least for the U.S. Um, team, they were able to recognize that some of these tackles, because I always say my red car can't heal a broken leg. So if you know that's what's about to happen, 
please, for the love of God, you know, make any attempt to protect yourself as much as possible. And that's what the referee got to do here as well. I do wish that there was a little bit of more when you're balancing this, as I call it, putting a little bit of mustard on it, right? If it's going to be an orange card, you're given that yellow, but you are taking that person aside. And even if there's a language barrier, trust me, no means no in any language, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just really manhandling and managing that so that you're setting up that team and that style of play saying this is unacceptable. Um, and so I wish there was a bit more of that because it was a little bit more uh, responsive, in my opinion, than what I would have preferred. Yeah, I agree. I think that was the the main concern for me is just sort of the repetitive nature of it that you go, well, the only final outcome of that is the actual contact to a knee or a leg. And that tends to end bad with the, just the velocity of which those challenges were coming in. Uh, another a real quick question for you, and then we'll let you go. Uh, the Robinson handball. This is the one that I know was on Paramount Plus. You said that you know, obviously, there was some arguments for for leaning the shoulder. And want to get your take on this for for the audience here that perhaps didn't hear that. Uh, you know, obviously, hits his arm. His body's close to his chest, but he's leaning into it a little bit. It's in a natural position where it's close to his body. I mean, what what was your take on this one overall? And and from that time, having gone back and sh- and seen it again a few more times, has you, has your opinion or or perspective on that changed? Yeah, and it has not. So the it's so fun uh, when you get a quick clip and they're like, ready, get go, get, get ready, go, you're on. And you're just like, can I get a replay? Uh, it just reminds me of actually active officiating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't really get a replay. You just got to make a decision on that. But, you know, when we assess the handling offense or handball, right, uh, handling offense, um, you know, there's a lot of different factors and considerations that go into it. And I think that's what people sometimes, um, we, I mean, trust me, we get stuck in rooms for hours taking a look at handling offenses and having to make decisions and arguments back and forth as to what does and what doesn't qualify. And the laws have changed over the past three, four years and has confused everybody, including ourselves, where we have to retrain ourselves every time they change it. But the one part of that law that I have appreciated and like that they gave back to the official is understanding context of play, right? So that it's not just strictly black and white. I think we had too many harsh calls when they trying to move in that sector. And here, uh, like you said, it's there is an argument for him leaning forward a bit, you know, the arm kind of going in that direction. But ultimately, the question is, where did it hit him, right? It hit him in the upper kind of a shoulder area right here. And it was his arms were tucked in tight. They weren't making himself bigger, right? It wasn't in a natural position. And that deflection um, coming in from that cross, that deflected off the foot. I mean, we're doing slow play and we're doing a clip analysis and still shot, right? But if you put that in live play, the chances to be able to react on that are almost slim to none to be able to respond. So as long as your arms aren't high up in the air or anything like that, we're going to say you don't meet all the factors and all the considerations. Um, so we don't want a penalty on that one. So I still like it. Uh, I know my little referee community posted that out really quickly to me real quick, and we all are kind of on the same page. For us, that would be no handling, even though it did hit his arm and he leaned forward a little bit. Everything else is stronger saying no handling. Does your community argue, though, like you guys really go after each other? Because oh, yeah. I feel like you're pretty consistent in, in in your perspective on these things, and I just wonder like, when it goes into a group chat or into these these kind of uh, – worlds of of referees if there is a if it, if it does split down the middle uh on on certain calls it, it does it's so funny that you say that because we do we we get into these right and so when we say what happens in the war room stays in the war room right so like literally we'll go in throw a clip even when it's pro etc we'll go and we'll go to town right you'll have two different sides of the camp then you'll always have that outlier liar that you're like what are you doing over there <laughs> i want to see somebody throw their headphones and walk off you know like, yeah, i want to see more if, since it's I a war too. room i want to see more emotion in there i just see everybody oh, kind of no, looking back and forth i want to see some fighting no the war room gets deep people are i mean everyone when you get to become a referee at the highest level 
Winslow. Everyone has really strong opinions. I'm going to steer away from the word ego, but there's a well, lot of ego. confident That's a, a, people elite in that being elite anything. Yeah, you got it. You got to have They're that ego beings. and believe that uh, you're right They're always. Beings. I mean, that, that's I, I expect nothing less. And actually, I think VAR is kind of, we could say, lend itself to more being robotic, right? And I'm glad that there's some human error. Only when it benefits the U.S. And today, <laughs> it benefited the U.S. Yeah, let's go. There should have been a goal for, for uh, low. There should have probably been potentially a penalty for that. They didn't get any red cards when maybe they deserved it. So there you go, benefiting the U.S. And we get the 1-1 draw. Christina, uncle, thank you so much for your time. You're amazing at Thanks what you too. do. Thank you so much for your, coming on and, and sharing your insight with us. Of course. Appreciate it, guys. All right. That is Christina Uncle, everyone. Heath, we basically broke down every play and nothing had was positive for the U.S. there. It was us. Yeah. Well, it was ultimately, but it was more about how Jamaica survived. Uh, or actually, they're going to be angrier, the two, right? That's where I wanted to go with it. Oh, man. We're getting attacked right now, Jimmy. We're getting attacked. Talking heads. When we win, we are amazing. When we lose, draw, the world is coming to an end. Temper your emotions, brothers. Uh, I, 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 I mean, look at look at we haven't even gotten into the game yet. And and quite frankly, I I, I you and I both what? know, Jimmy, you and I both know, and actually you were you probably more calm-headed than I am. It's mostly on the Mexico game that I, I saw us rounding a corner in terms of a complete performance, right? Do you think, Jimmy, let me ask you this. Do you think that the the game against Jamaica away is a harder game than a home game against Mexico. Like, do you think it's harder to get up for, harder to survive? Because there's certain elements of it that are certainly more difficult or different or challenging, a different type of challenge. But do you think it's harder to, to, to excuse the fact that we've got to play really ugly and get a lot or a little bit of luck to get out with a point for Jamaica? Or, you know, because again, I go back to my own experiences where I don't ever remember really playing amazing on the road or feeling satisfied, but I remember getting points and getting wins and qualifiers and big games and 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 feeling like, man, I can't wait to get a home game where we can play a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I would say that coming off of the performance that we did, which is where I kind of led you in my first question to start the show, and how well we played against Mexico and how everything just kind of fell in our favor. We created our own luck. We created all those positive vibes, as it were. And I think maybe there was some element of it. If we look at the game itself, the first 15 to 20 minutes, we carried on that momentum. Timothy Weah scored a great goal. I love that he combined with Ricardo Pepe. I love that Pepe's checking back into that space to look to combine, not necessarily get it in turn and, and make the game about himself. He's looking to combine. Timo Weah continues his run, does very well to, uh, to get around Bobby Reed and has cool, calm, composed finish to get to the to, to hit the post and, and into the goal. When Mikel Antonio scored, something changed for us. Collectively, we just seemed a little unsure of ourselves. I don't think the sky's falling as, at all. When I went on HQ, I kind of came on and said, you know, we dodged a few things. A couple things went our favor, in our favor from a referee perspective. We got a point away from home. I, I'm... I'm going to leave emotion out of this. I'm going to look at this very sensibly. Four points in a window where we had a home game against Mexico and away to Jamaica. I'd take it. Do I'd you, take it. Do you think that do you think that this game in itself was a better performance from the US than it was in Panama, than it was in Honduras the first half, El Salvador, or Canada? I mean, obviously J Jamaica and 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 Mexico, great great wins, but like do you in Honduras second half but as a complete performance over 90 minutes, do you think this was a better one? Because it didn't feel... Now, granted, I don't think Jamaica had a ton of chances, but I think the U.S. was playing into Jamaica's strengths for, for a large yes, part yes. after the goal. I thought the U.S. showed again their ability to compete with Jamaica before, before Mikel Antonio hit the screamer. 
uh, and then never really settled in again. And that's what I've seen throughout this. And again, this is a very young team. And this sure, is a sure. very young team that's only getting experience by getting experience. And I looked to that field and, uh, you know, and I, and I would love for us to go through the players that you think are trending up down after this game had good performances or, or, or questionable ones. Because when I look at Team Awea, fantastic in the last game, good to score the goal in this game. But a lot of times took too many touches, was trying to do a little bit more than I think he usually did, slowing the game down. Same thing for other players. And I could go across the board of just feeling yeah, a little bit different. Maybe I was trying too hard or sure. not knowing the flow. I thought our fullbacks were too high and wide, which I think is cheating defensively and really screwing over your back line. That means you have to be good in possession. But it also means that you're not defensive first, which you should be when you're playing on the road anyway. It felt like at times they were just way too high because that's the easy thing to do as opposed to knowing that you might have to take wave of after wave of, of counterattacks and defense. But yeah, there's a number of things that, that sure. just didn't impress me that I think this team could do better. I don't think it was a bad performance, but I, I, I certainly don't think it was a good one by any means. Okay, make sure everybody you hit like and subscribe. Leave a comment, maybe a one word comment to describe your mood. And we'll keep those comments coming. We saw a good one from Fight Pizza. And it makes me want to know what Fight Pizza is all about. Like, What kind of slice of pie are you getting at Fight Pizza? Sounds like it's very aggressive pizza, but I'm in on it. And I thought he made a good comment about U.S.-Mexico games are one-offs. They're unique. They're separate than everything else. And when, are, when I guess he's speaking to us or everybody that's watching, when is everybody going to understand that? And then once we get back to business, it's just a little bit different. It's harder to get up for it, I guess, to kind of extrapolate where I think he's going with this comment. But yeah, keep those comments coming. We really appreciate everything that you're saying. We're, we're all in this together. We all want the U.S. to succeed. Maybe not all of them. I saw Yale in there saying, uh, yeah, Jamaica should have beaten those pretty boys. I love that. That's, that's, <laughs> I agree. That's, Jamaica should have won that game. Jamaica should have like, won that game. Well, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But uh, to your point, though, Heath, and I want to jump in and really say, what really kind of frustrated me, if I had any elements of frustration, I wasn't surprised by how this game played out. But I was surprised that we didn't create more clear-cut chances. And with the addition of Busio, I thought he was going to help provide that. Whether on set pieces, because Brendan Aronson's set pieces against Mexico were not good. I thought Busio was going to be able to provide maybe a little bit of a different service, a better ball in, a more consistent ball in, uh, into the box for those types of, of uh, opportunities. But I, he was another guy that I thought took extra touches when maybe he didn't mm -hmm. need to. And that slowed everything down. And if you have a couple of those guys that are in the attacking third or near the attacking third that are taking that extra touch, now the runs aren't timed mm -hmm. well anymore. The support to go get it, those passing lanes are gone. And I feel like we could just never get control of the game. When yeah, I look there was back, no though, steady pulse. Yeah, there's there no, was. There was no the, rhythm, some of those things. The first 13, or excuse yeah. me, 15, 20 that minutes. Yeah. Ex excellent. Like with the, the press that we we're putting on, it, Jamaica looked nervous. And we did exactly what we talked about in the preview, which was where one of the things we were thinking about, do we come out and be on the front foot or do we sit back and absorb? Because Jamaica's had a tough time scoring goals and qualifying. Five goals in seven games prior to this one is not good. And a lot of it was individual efforts that, that were doing it. It wasn't anything collective. I thought there was an element of potentially us being able to sit back, knowing they needed all three points to use their desperation against them and then hit them on the counter. But we went out on the front foot, and I was like, God damn, these guys are good. We finally <laughs> yeah. have the start of a second half, yeah. the beginning of a first half, you know? And, and then we lost our way. And that's part of this. And maybe it's the youth of the team, because as you mentioned, or if we haven't mentioned it yet, that was the second youngest team we've ever started in a World Cup qualifier. But how are we going to regain that momentum? How are we going to start to put our, our, our terms? When, when are we going to control the game again? When, yeah. when we lose it and how quickly can we regain that the top teams know how to do that 
And I don't know if we're there yet, but if we really want to compete and have a deep run in the World Cup, qualify for World Cups, go toe-to-toe with the biggest nations, we got to get that part figured out. And that's going to be a nice challenge for this group of players who arguably are the most talented players we've ever had. Yeah, Jimmy, I know we, we, we got to go to break in, in, in a second, but real quick, Alex makes a good point saying is getting shook like that after a godsmack of a goal like Antonio hit by hit by a a hit a byproduct of our best players being so young. And mm-hmm. and I certainly think so. I think when you look at the rhythm of the game, it was always like when we were good against Honduras, it was because the game was predictable. We knew where the exit was. We knew where the counter was. We knew how to relieve pressure, change the point of attack. And everybody understood that, right? Whereas at times we got out of messes and then you have a full backup high and Brendan Aronson's darting to one side and Ricardo Pepe is double teamed and they didn't like finding the, the timing of the passing and the rhythm of the passing, the pulse of the team. We didn't find it. So then that goes into one player turnover. Now you're defending again. Next player turnover, then you're defending again. And after a while, you fall out of rhythm. doesn't matter how good you are. This team is not Man City. It's not, you know, and even those best teams in the world get out of rhythm from time to time where the runs are into different spaces. Players have different thoughts. I mean, these player, players are autonomous, right? Mm-hmm, and you think mm-hmm. the, the, the movement should be into the channels and other players checking in and other guys arriving late. And in the international game, it just gets a little bit quicker. And when that falls apart, it can fall apart uh, very quick. And that can be a result of these players being young or the inexperience sure. because it, they never really got it back after that goal. They never really settled in coming out in the second half and you just go, hey, slow it down. You know, we've got this triangulation in the midfield. We, you know, we can find that numeric. We only need one numerical advantage anywhere on the field to be able to change the point of attack. It never felt like we got this like, oh, here's how we're going to play again. And previously, we go into halftime, we come out and we go, here's how we're going to play. And here's how we expect them to play. And we've done really well in those moments. But this was one where it just felt like we, we allowed the chaos to uh, resume for the entire second half that played into the hands of Jamaica. What, what's what, your thoughts on that? No, I would just say that as you speak about this game and as I think about it from, let's say, a 30,000-foot view, there were a lot of similarities to the first match of World Cup qualifying against El Salvador where we just couldn't get it going. We couldn't figure anything out. Now, what's different is I think we were nervous for that one. That was a lot of first-timers playing away from home in a World Cup qualifier. It's a completely different beast than friendlies or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, and Gold Cup and, and Nations League, it's just different, especially away from home because those two tournaments were on U.S. soil. And now with this game, what felt different but felt similar is that we had a very similar lineup to what the success we just had against Mexico. And maybe that gave us false expectations of what we were going to walk into, that we could do it again, that we were going to continue to take these steps to bigger and better things. But I just don't think it's that easy. And, and that's something you and I talked about having experience in World Cup qualifying, especially against the Jamaica team. And I think this has to be said. Their backs were against the wall. They needed to get something out of this game. They needed all three points and deserved it, as we said. Didn't get it. They got to get stuck with one. They still have it in their hands. They need, a, they need a lot of good results for the rest of the six games that they're going to be playing in. But it, 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 when you have that type of desperation, we didn't have that same type of desperation. We came into this feeling very good about ourselves. They weren't. And, and I still think that has to be brought into the equation. All right, we're going to take a Jimmy, quick wait, break. Wait, wait, before you no, go to break, ahead. El Salvador what, just what? scored in 15 seconds against Panama. We're off to a decent start. No so way. Yeah. 15, 15 seconds into the game, yeah. That is that is crazy, and that's yeah. going to change everything if Panama loses that game, especially yeah. at home against El Salvador. Okay, so really quick, a couple milestones we have to talk about because we're all about reaching milestones here at K Golasso, especially round number ones. It's kind of satisfying mm-hmm. OCD-wise. Just want to throw that out there. So while things didn't go to plan in Kingston, we didn't get the full three points. It brings me great pleasure to announce that this is our 400th episode ever 
of Kegelasa. Let's give it up to us. All right, all right, all right. We are awesome. We have two other milestones within reach, though, but we're going to need your help, okay? One of them is we're within touching distance of getting 3,000 followers on Twitter. So go to twitter.com slash K-Q-U-E Golasso pod and go hit that follow button. It would mean a lot to us as we try to give you the best free content that you can find on the internets. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're also getting close to 5,000 subscribers here on Ooh. YouTube. So hit that subscribe button. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Get to hang out with us. Get to be part of the community. And if you want to turn on the notifications so you don't miss anything, that wouldn't hurt our feelings either. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, it'll be very quick here on YouTube. Not so much if you're listening on the audio side of things. We're going to talk about Greg's lineup. Did he get it right? Did he wait too long on his subs? Did he get his subs right? And then we'll get into all the other good stuff that we want to talk about, including your comments who do not go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Kego Lasso Pod, a very special edition of our World Cup qualifying recap for the U.S. Men's National Team. This was a 1-1 result away in Kingston against Jamaica. The reggae boys deserved all three points. Didn't get it. We'll take the one. Thank you very much. Let's talk about the lineup, Heath Pierce. Do you think mm-hmm. that was the right lineup with Bustio coming in for McKinney? And Richards coming in for Miles Robinson, even though Richards and Zimmerman had never played together before. And then, secondly, do you think we waited too long to make some subs? Most notably, our super sub at the time, or at this current moment, Christian Pulisic, who came on in about the 65th minute. Maybe he should have started the second half. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind when he came in around what early around the 60th. 65th? 60, yeah, yeah. yeah 65th. I, I, I didn't mind that that much. I think... With regard to the starting lineup and Greg getting it right or wrong, I thought that um, Gianluca Busio wasn't the problem. I thought, like, I, and I know that you thought he took a few too many touches at times, and I agree with you. I don't think he had his best match either. I don't think he was the issue. I don't think that. Sebastian I agree with Legette, you. I agree. I, 
I guess what I'm saying is I don't think uh, I think it's a better option than Acosta. I think it's and I saw when Acosta came on, I thought we were even worse just because that neutralization again of him and Tyler Adams together. I think they it's don't great play well for a fight. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great for a fight. I think it's great for scrapping a point. I think it's great for energy, but it certainly doesn't help us at all in the, in the attacking front. And it becomes duplicative in terms of our buildup play and the in the pockets and the spaces that they're in. And they're both better in transition games. They're both better. Uh, in, in chaos, but it didn't help us on the attacking front. So I still think Chris Richards was was solid. I think uh, Gianluca Busio was solid. I think those were the right uh, choices in terms of making subs earlier on. I can certainly see that. I don't think I love Brendan Aronson on the left side like I like him on the right side. I think he's mm-hmm. much more comfortable in the pockets and in the half spaces on the right side. I think he's much more connected into the attack and the way that he plays off. One and in, in, in one-two touches, wall passes, things like that, where he's coming in, trying to get ball down ball down to the touchline, as well as combination play. He just seems to be more comfortable. Well, you'd think a player in the half spaces is more comfortable on their strong foot driving into the field. It's actually not the case for him. I think he's I, – I personally like him more on the right side. Timo Weah, uh, again, strong on the right side, was really good. Again, I thought he was taking too many touches at times and slowing the game down. But overall, from a lineup standpoint, I wasn't I wasn't mad about that at all. It's, a, it's the second youngest uh, team we've ever put out for World Cup qualifying. And – uh, it was probably the best that we had other than being able to put Polistic on the field. I don't think you play uh, Mark McKenzie. He hasn't had a lot of minutes. I think Chris Richards has been good. You want to keep getting him that experience. Him and Zimmerman not playing together, not n- not ideal, but at the same time, you want to sort of reward club performances. You want to reward people that are in, in form. And again, when I look at DeAndre Yedlin and I look at Anthony Robinson, two players that I thought were eh, so-so on the day, right, Anthony Robinson right. probably worse, both of them not sharp in defending both of them not, and I don't mean defending like one-on-one defending. I mean, I spent a lot of you as a defender, Jimmy. You you, you do the same. When I look at those players, the, the the defense, I'm watching them constantly. Even if the ball's in another part of the field, I'm watching them. Right, I'm watching their reactions, their timing, the way that they're processing things as a center back steps out. What are they doing? How are they reacting? They both seemed very late to react to things. And if it wasn't for offside on a couple calls or bad touches or the pitch or a last ditch effort from somebody coming over, we could have been punished even more by their mm-hmm. positioning and reaction or, or lack there of being proactive at times. So again, two, two performances that I'm like, eh, maybe we could give somebody another shot in those. But in terms of who Greg chose in this one, I thought it was best. And I thought it was courageous to play a young Busio who's playing well at Syria over a safer option like a Roldan, like a Legette, like a, you know, um, you know, any Acosta other even. Acosta yeah. even who's who's an even safer bet because he's younger, has the legs, and is having a, a great season with 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 Colorado. So overall, I, I still see that being the better option moving forward. I still think getting him minutes is more valuable than getting Acosta minutes. I don't think those two players uh, help. I think Acosta is a closer. I think Legette is a closer. We weren't in a closing situation then. Um, I think that's the 80th to 90th minute type guys that are important for the team, but not the type of player that you want on the field from the start. Uh, in these types of moments, especially, I mean, maybe a way you can argue that, but I still think that Busio is better on the ball and has shown more ability to get into challenges and be active in in the transition and both sides of the game. I, I like it better. Sorry, that's a that's a long rant. No, but, no, um, no. I I just I was reading some of the comments and and I agree with everybody that that some of the guys look tired, but also some of those guys had some of our best moments. So if you take off uh, a Wea and, and a Musa. And you bring on an Acosta in particular. For me, once I saw Acosta come in, and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Acosta, but once you see him come in, you're like, ah, he's going for the he's going for the draw. You know, he's not. Yeah, we're, we're not putting on a player that pushes forward to help us maybe create another number going forward or whatever it may be. This is that's a safe spot. He's in there to. But Yedlin looked tired. Shot. 
Yedlin looked, looked tired. Up. Anthony, Anthony Robinson, Robinson looked, looked tired. tired. And I'll tell you why, Jimmy. Because every time he got the ball, they bombed into the attack. And you don't do that when you're on the road. You pick and choose your moments. Yep. It's hot. Yep. It's yep. human. It's a tough pitch. You got to defend for long periods. And I saw them every time. And I, I see that as cheap. I see that that sort of attacking mentality as cheap. But because I don't, the further you up there you go, the less often you have to go back. And you put that on other people. And I, I, I just... I think I see that as a, a microcosm well, of larger things. Sure, but but what what pisses me off then is that we had that same problem against Mexico in the first half, where Yedlin and Anthony were both getting forward at the same mm-hmm. time, and I thought we addressed that problem in the second half, and our team shape and balance was so much better, and that really nullified anything that Mexico had going forward because our balance was so good. The fact that that couldn't carry over into this game for all the reasons that you're talking about, playing away from home, the climate's different. The field is bumpy and crappy. Uh, you know, everything that you want to put into it, that you have to, you have Jamaica players that can beat you individually. They have some really, really world-class talent within their squad. Yeah. That kind of got me uh, a little frustrated. And then, you know, I know that when Ariola comes in, people are going to be pissed because yeah. they don't think he should be on the team uh, Jimmy, or whatever. They, they, they talk but, about but, this before games, though. They say, hey, pick and choose your moments. We're on the road. Be smart defensively. Be disciplined in your thing. Like, that's right, what the right. team talks are. And then sure. when you can get in, when you can add into the attack, you go. But you also know what it's like to play in those conditions when it's that humid and it's that hot. You deplete your energy resources relatively quickly if you are not smart. And then you have all of these other things like the ground being heavy and sure, slow sure. and whatever. That Not to give excuses, but I just think that you got to be a little bit smarter at times uh, uh, across the board. No, and I thought that you know, Pulisic was... You know, then he comes on. He's trying to do too much, potentially. Brendan Aronson, you know, just those extra yeah, touches. I and agree. The game was a little bit uh, all over the place at that point. We could never establish that flow because the flow was never really established. And I think we were so good in the first 20 minutes. We gave up a goal, a little unsure. But all right, at halftime, we just didn't make those same types of adjustments that I thought gave us success in, in prior iterations. Uh, hey, there was a question about fight. Ricardo Pepe. Is the, is the train losing steam? And also, Greg Berhalter said, Yunus Musa came down with strep throat. And uh, they could they could tell it was taking a toll on him. They weren't exactly sure when to take him out of the game. I thought Musa was great. And what I like about him is he doesn't care who he's playing against. Yeah, Tight I love spaces, that too. Sidelines, two against one. He's like, I'm going to get out of here. The only thing I didn't like about Musa that I saw was similar to the reaction times of other players, like a turnover where you know when you see players and they they just run past the play. Yeah, right, right. Uh, that attack, like the number tens do that. A ten will do that, right? Yeah. Where like the play doesn't work out for them. It's a turnover and they just continue their run forward. Yunus Musa against Mexico. As soon as that ball passed, he was back in the challenge, recovering right, that right. speed and transition. And when you have that many, I saw Timo Weah do it a few times too. And I don't know if that's fatigue or if it's whatever reason. It's not a good look for the rest of the team when when we're at our best. Turnover happens, everybody pounces on that. But anyways, um, I, I I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point anymore. But <laughs> I want to get your take on on uh, on on Pepe. So with regard to Ricardo Pepe, as I mentioned before, I like when he shows up in spots to look to combine. And that worked to great effect for the goal that we did score. Outside of that, I thought he was a little bit quiet. Is that due to him? Is it due to the opposition? Is it due to the lack of space for him to run in behind? Is it due to us not maybe putting in enough service so he can be busy? Obviously, he scored two goals against Jamaica before. I think because of that, Jamaica's like, all right, we got to pay attention to this Ricardo Pepe kid because he knows how to hurt us in these areas. So, Jamaica are dummies. They're going to just allow the same thing to happen twice in two consecutive games. They figured out a way to neutralize him. But because they were collapsing the lines on top of each other, I felt like it was just harder for him to find those gaps. But he did initially. And then once the game kind of settled, and once, honestly, once Jamaica scored that goal, we're kind of speaking about it from a U.S. perspective. But once Jamaica scored that goal, you could see them relax. You could honestly Mm -hmm. see them relax. They started combining and making more passes. They seemed a little bit more 
assured and had a little bit more belief and like, okay, cool. We got back, you know, let's see if we can go kind of go get win the game and lean, now lean back on the tactics that we were talking about beforehand when the game was a little bit away from them at that point, if we could have hit a second when they were a little bit vulnerable to start that game, we're probably talking about a much different result, but, but I think Jamaica really got the wind beneath their wings after that goal by Mikel Antonio, which uh, we can get into a little bit more because I actually want to talk about, and this is one of our favorite segments here on Kegelasso Pod, Raising the Bar presented by Sonos Beam. Now, this segment focuses on the players who raise the bar during this game. And I just want to state for the record, Heath Pierce, you don't have to pick an American. If you want to go with a Jamaican, uh, we're open to mm-hmm. you doing that. And this is them, these players taking their game to the next level. And Heath and I will uh, tip our oversized hats our imaginary oversized hats to the players who exceeded our expectations in Kingston. And you guessed it raised the bar. Heath, who are you going with? Who raised the bar for you on either team in Kingston tonight? Well, if I was going to go with the U S I'd say Walker Zimmerman, because I think he's been solid and a calming presence. And I think he's one of the shoe ins for, for, uh, the world cup at this point in terms of a leader in this back line, I think it's his spot, but I'm not going with him. I'll talk about him another time. I'll just say he had a good performance, I thought. But on the flip side, I'm going with Mikel Antonio. And it nice makes choice. me it makes me sad because Mikel Antonio uh, could have helped Jamaica earlier on. And we talk about Greg Berhalter's development over the summer, right? The amount of big games this team has played in Mexico three times, all these things, and having your roster together. Jamaica hasn't had that. Everybody was talking about Jamaica. We were talking about Curacao and some other of these islands, kind of the dual national countries where you could pull players. And Mikel Antonio is one that has shown, and it may be too little too late. They needed to get three points, but his ability came in in the last game. I think it was 17 minutes that he played, scored a goal. Came in in this one, hit a blinder when they really had nothing going on. Just drove down the field, poke it inside, 30 yards out. Thank you very much. I'm carrying this team on my back. And very rarely, we see these kinds of things happen from time to time, but very rarely does a player deliver on that level where you go, well, at the international level, if he's so good at, at West Ham and playing at his club team and he set the record for goals scored there and all these things, let's see him do it for Jamaica. Well, he's actually done it, Jimmy. And he is really good. His body, his physical presence on the field, it just changes the dynamic. And again, like you said just a minute ago, when they scored that goal, Jamaica was like, oh, shoot, we're in games. When we have this guy on the field, we're in games because now we know that no matter how we're playing and now all of a sudden, they were poaching. They were cheating a little bit up. They were poking away balls. They were winning second balls. And to have that sort of presence where you can lift up a team who has really uh, been been unimpressive for large majorities, even going back to their last game, Jamaica, where they they probably should have lost to El Salvador. Was it El Salvador they played, right? Was El Salvador the last game? Yes. Yes. I think it was. Yeah, it was El yeah, Salvador. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, and they scored in the 90th minute. That's right. um, and El Salvador had the majority of chances. They had a better... Um, um, XG, they had like they were just better. And to have a player like that come in and go, thank you very much from the half line, dribble down, score. Same thing in this one individual moment, individual effort. When you talk about raising the bar, this is somebody that, like, regardless how the team's playing, he delivers in a moment. And then the team rides the coattails of that energy and that belief and that confidence. So I just don't see anybody else, uh, you know, at least from my opinion in this game specifically, that, that, that had more of an impact than him. Well, I appreciate that. I am going to go. And uh, I got a drum here. I'm going to drum roll it. All right. My uh, raising the bar performer who exceeded all expectations was the referee. Let's give it up for the ref. I thought he was fantastic. You know, he helped the U.S. get a point. Well, usually, usually when you are away from home and you're the visiting team, you get a little home cooking from the referees. 
Mm-hmm. And in some ways, Jamaica did with those red cards, those tackles. But ultimately, even without that, the fact that the Walker Zimmerman play, Lowe should have scored there. That should have been a goal. He could have maybe called a penalty. That's what a home cooking ref would do. He mm-hmm. didn't call it. Okay, so I'm going with the ref. He exceeded my expectations because I thought he was going to let that goal stand. I just want to give him a shout out. That was just well played. Christina Uncle already came on. If you missed her coming on to talk about it, just going to go watch the archive of this so you can get all the insight from her who is a professional referee. It was fantastic insight. But yes, that's what I said. Exceeded my expectations, right? Yeah, that's that's I mean, the bar. That is the bar. I'm raising the bar and that yeah. bar was set and he exceeded eh, it. I don't agree. But I mean, I'm what? happy. I'm happy. I'm happy to not agree, though, because we got a point out of it. I we mean, get a point. Yeah, it's 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 under uh, it's under under it's, it's under it's, review. It's, uh, weirdly, though, the U.S. very rarely gets those right. When you talk about Concacaf, usually we get Concacaf, and we Concacaf uh, Jamaica in the result of a referee raising the bar for us. And I actually thought that he was weirdly consistent in a lot of his plays, like weirdly in a very bizarre way that had I been on the other side, I would have been probably feeling differently, but very rarely do I feel that. So I, I could agree with you that he, he uh, certainly I, it, made him ex- made an all impact. I, all I saw was exceeded expectations and he exceeded mine by helping the U S get a point. I will <laughs> right. say from an American perspective, i uh, very happy that Timothy way is continuing to probably feel like he's more a part of the team that he can be because for a while he was just a super sub and maybe we'd see him for 20 minutes. Maybe we would not. And now with his, his goal against Costa Rica with his assist to Christian Pulisic, which are all match winning moments. And then Mm -hmm. for him to score again today, uh, I think he's definitely exceeding expectations in this short window, but now the expectations are going to be set. So the bar has been raised even further with him. We'll see if he can be one of our uh, Sonos beam raising the bar candidates moving forward. And you know what? Speaking of, of the Sonos Beam, Heath, I know you have one of these. I have I one do. of them too. And outside of being able to bring home the stadium experience with the Sonos Beam, because the the sound is ridiculous, mm-hmm. you can also use it for gaming and music and more. And I've got mm-hmm. a story that you want to hear about this. I would love to hear. Your story. Okay, great. So I've got a story about the Sonos Beam, and it's ridiculous. But my girls and I have two daughters. We mm-hmm. like to. Play. I got three, but I got three daughters. But humble. You know, you don't need to me. one up. We got it's not, like a, it's not a competition. Yeah, it's not a competition. Okay. But, you, but you're winning. <laughs> and, and my girls, we like to play games that are collaborative, right? So we play this game called Overcooked. Have you ever heard of Overcooked? I have not. Okay, so Overcooked is a game where you're all working on delivering orders. You're working in a restaurant esque thing, and you try to deliver orders. So somebody's got to be cooking. Somebody's got to be cleaning the dishes. Somebody's got to be chopping the stuff. You got to put it together, and it's super stressful. And the way you have success is by communicating. Yeah. So with the Sotos Beam, you know, we've put it up because the sound sounds amazing. The background, background music's awesome. And it's so loud and we're getting so into it because you got to yell at each other to get stuff done that our neighbor thinks something's going on and like people are hurt at our house. <laughs> That's how awesome the Sotos Beam is. And I, I just want to say that it was designed from the inside out for incredibly clear sound and rich bass. By, by by Oscar and Grammy winning producers, mixers and artists. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous, by the way. So I just wanted to throw that in there because that's super cool. But it really speaks to this. So it was so it, like all encompassing this sound that our neighbor comes over and, and is like oh, somewhat in a panic. Like, is everybody okay? And we're like, yeah, we're fine. We're just playing Overcooked. They're like, what's Overcooked? <laughs> so they we have you can play four players. There's only three of us. So they play Overcooked with us. Okay. Oh no, this story's yes. getting even better. It's getting better. So they're playing and and you realize quite quickly that you learn a lot about people when you're in high stress situations. And we don't really like playing with this neighbor. They're not very good <laughs> oh. at communicating. Oh man. So, so we had to quietly like, Oh, thanks for playing and, and acted like we were done. 
and then we 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 got started again once they left. That's what we did. But I want to give a shout out to the Sonos Beam because they made everything sound larger than life. It's an incredible product. Uh, Sonos Beam bringing the community together since 2002 when they first got started as a business. And we really appreciate them here. And I just wanted to share that story with the audience and with you, Heath. I like that. And obviously they can learn more on sonosbeam.com. Hey, by the way, that yes. is, you did you said bringing community together, but then you also talked about sort of the end of the, the community well, separating. He's got to be end, better at the we? game. Like, <laughs> you got to, you got to, if you're going to come over and play Overcooked with us, you got to pull your weight. And for people that have played Overcooked, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So I can't wait to try that. You should. You should. It's a lot of fun. And I think you and your daughters have a good kick out of it because you basically are just screaming at each other. <laughs> no, like you cook the meat. Who's cooking the meat? Who is doing this? So anyway, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun and it wouldn't have been near nearly as fun without Sonus Beam being involved. So I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to them with regard to that. So here's my question to you as we roll back into this game, Keith Pierce. How much did we miss Weston McKinney? Well, yeah, I saw that question earlier of how much like we, we there was a, a comment about how we missed his passion. I don't think I don't think that was what was missing. This team has passion. This team has energy. I don't I just think it's unharnessed at times and it's and it's sort of uncontrolled. And we get out of this rhythm where we feel this like the earth under us shake and and then we don't know what to do. And I don't think Weston McKinney's the answer to that because Weston McKinney isn't the calming presence. He's actually the energy that this team has. Uh, and it contributes to that energy. And I think what we need is a calming presence, somebody that puts their foot on the ball. And we've seen this from a lot of the CONCACAF teams, especially the Central Americans, where they know how to get the ball. They draw you in, one, two, wall pass out the other side, and now they take a breath and go, whew. And now the U.S. is having right, to bomb right. 40 yards to get back into position, get back behind the ball, settle into a mid or a deep block. We don't have we haven't had the ability to do that in high times of stress where we go, you know, and Yunus, the reason why I love Yunus Musa is because he is generally that guy where everybody sits on top of us and they and they and they just sort of collapse on us. And usually we panic and hit the ball long turnover. Where Yunus Musa is one of the few players that oh, okay, no problem. Spin out. We saw him again on the sideline today where he goes to look look to play it backwards. The guy overcommits a little bit and he just sprints forward, beats two players on the dribble, and you go, okay. That's nice. And that's what I think we're missing at times is now you've advanced the ball, you've broken a line of pressure, and now we need to know what the next thing to do is. And then when that goes to the next guy, he needs to know what the next thing to do with it is. And I feel at times it just takes one disconnect and all of a sudden it all falls apart. And so while I think McKinney is a huge part of this team and, an, and a sure starter with MMA in the midfield there, I don't think him being there would have changed uh, that calming presence. Maybe winning the ball in decent spots could have helped, but overall... I think it was just more of a, a, a systemic issue without, for, throughout the group than one individual player being able to solve that problem. Okay, and he played against El Salvador. I'm looking that up right now, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And, and we ran it, like, basically we ran into the same issues, yeah. I feel like, that we did before where we didn't have we, – we were lacking a little bit of something. And McKinney did start that game and played the whole 90 minutes. And I remember him actually being out there for that one. And it just felt really similar when yeah, I think about Yeah, but where was he against Mexico for most of the game? He's a big... He's a, we talked about... What was the word that you described Buston McKinney as? Um, it was like an X-factor type of word where it was like uh, some sort of big game player where they have these... Yeah, he's clutch. These he's clutch. clutch. Yeah. yeah, he's got the clutch gene. That's what you said. And I agree with that. But that in the run of play isn't always a factor, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and again, you go to the El Salvador game. I, I For long periods against Mexico also in Nations League, I, you don't see him as that presence. The energy is good. But the whole energy from this team is good. I love the energy from this team. It's fantastic. But I think that connection to all the players is what is missing. And 
I think more players like Yunus Musa that want the ball in tough spots and want the ball when things get stressful or don't even recognize that things are getting stressful and then make the right decisions. Jimmy, I say this all the time to you, and I don't want to keep talking uh, nonstop, but <laughs> Bob Bradley used to always say this thing where it was like, that's a good decision, but is there a better one, right? And the top players in Yunus Musa tends to make the better decision, mm-hmm. not just a decision to keep the ball, but the better one, right? I can either slot it into you. You do like mm-hmm. the check downs like a quarterback where I've got five options. And I know which one is the best one. And the more players that we have that know the best one and when to put your foot on the ball, when to play backwards, when to play square, when to switch it, that's the IQ that we need to be able to have in tough times like this because otherwise it just keeps on this snowball effect where now we find ourselves as a shell of ourselves and we're just sort of fighting for our lives. Sorry. No, no, but when we coach, I think you and I both have an undercurrent of why are we making that decision? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're making that decision because you're tired. And there needs to be an understanding if we do have some tired players and something isn't working that we can just keep it. And there's a collective understanding that it's, this is a time to keep it. This is not the time to try to go hundred miles an hour because we're not ready to do it yet. Or we only have two or three guys that are ready, but the rest of us aren't. It's the same thing when we don't have the ball. Are we ready to press? Are we ready to, do we have to drop off? Where are we dropping off? How, how deep is our line? These are all these little things. That's why it was important in my humble opinion to, to have a lineup that we played almost the same in back-to-back games. And I wish that Weston and Miles Robinson were available because I wonder if Greg would have actually had the courage to roll out the same exact lineup that did so well against Mexico. I'm sure that he would have, given what we saw and how much he didn't make too many changes. But this is what the, this is what the audience wanted. This is what the fans yeah. wanted, the same consistency. And it didn't necessarily work out for us today. So I think the big question for everybody watching and listening is, well, what could have been different? Because Jamaica poses different problems for us than Mexico does. And we attack that game a little bit different. The hype around that game is so much different. It's on home soil. We control a lot of the the situation. We don't control as much when we're traveling away from home in Jamaica against a team that was as desperate as they were to get a result. With some world-class players that can hurt you with thunderbolts into the top corner, but at least into the top of the net. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I feel like it speaks a little bit to our youth. That, that when you have some experienced players, and these, these guys are getting experienced fast, and they're going to be where I want them to be very quickly. But we, don't all, we can't always go 100 miles an hour. Sometimes we have to ease our way to go forward and know when to drop off and when to take a breath. Just take a breath so that we can be more efficient in our movements. Now, this might be another flex. I try to – well, I say this. But I'm you flexing. left your flex I, late today, though. You left your true, flex at – we're almost an hour in. That's, so, that's so pretty humbling. Thank you very much. I appreciate I, I appreciate that. So I played against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. Okay. Mm, and mm. R9 Ronaldo, Zion. Flex. Jeez, no wonder you Becca, left it an hour. Bruno That's a Carlos, big thing to throw on early Peter in the Casillas, show. Sergio Ramos, all the guys, right? The Galacticos, Raul. So I was up against Raul and R9 Ronaldo. And what I actually learned in those 90 minutes, and it was such an important 90 minutes for me to learn, was how efficient they were in their movement. They, they, they didn't waste energy. And I think that comes with experience and understanding how to move within your group and knowing when that when the, there's certain cues you, of, that you that you learn from your teammates and also from the other team and situations and when to go or when you don't have the ball there's certain cues right of when to go and and, and to try to win it back and where you want to win it and then conversely when you do have the ball are we ready to go yet and do you have the players that know how to put their foot on the ball and slow everything down even when there's immense amount of pressure and you're playing in a World Cup qualifier and f- for us I feel like to get to that next level that is something we have to to solve. We have to solve that problem. And sometimes you can't rely on the coach or a halftime. Sometimes you have to solve it in game. And, and I'm excited to see if this group of players can do that. I think they're capable of it, but now we just have to see it and see it bear fruit. I don't know your final thoughts uh, in general and, and what else you want to add to that. 
No, I think, you know, uh, I, I would say, and I know Greg Berhalter loves the high press. And there are times where I think this team is going to have to evolve beyond that because the energy is so great. When you have Weston on, when you have, when you have Brendan Aronson, when you have Timo Weah, when you have Ricardo Pepe, the game becomes very predictable. But at times, is there a value in us dropping, sitting in a deeper block and countering out with that same energy and speed, just covering more ground and actually baiting teams to open up a little bit against us or having just a few other kind of uh, tricks up our sleeve to be able to change the dynamic of a game when things aren't working, right? And be able to solve through channels and one-two touches where they're now overcommitted and we can get out of those problems. I just wonder if maybe changing that pressing system or changing the way our system of play, could that be of value to have just a couple other ways in which we can, or, or things that we can go to when things are bad or things that we can go to when things are good. That's sort of my, my, final, my, my final thoughts on, on that tactically. Can, is there another evolution of this team that we can see that make it so when we go into these ditches or we get into these tough spots that we have a little bit more of a foundation of which we go, okay, today's not the day. It's going to be tough. We're going to suffer. Let's sit a little bit deeper then and we just spring out on counters with this speed or we, we just change something differently than trying to do the same thing uh, for that 90 minutes, which has worked, by the way, in second halves. But when it's not working in a second half, can we evolve that? Can we change yeah, that? We're on the same page there. And I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch, uh, especially as we navigate the high seas of the rest of qualifying. I'll just say very quickly, when we look ahead at the schedule for the U.S., we play El Salvador at home. I know they're up on Panama right now, so they're not going to be easy, especially with their backs against the wall. They do have some very talented players and a former U.S. men's national team player as their coach, Hugo Perez. But but then we have Canada away, which is going to be difficult. And then mm -hmm. we have home to Honduras. We should get six points minimum. Hopefully seven to nine is the hope as we get closer and closer to what I think we need to get into the World Cup. But uh, now we got two months to wait. It's crazy until the, until the next window. I, I'm excited for it already, and I know you're excited as well, Heath. Now, for everybody else, we here on Kegolasso have loads more in store for you, as we do throughout the November window and beyond. Make sure you follow or subscribe. Hit that right now to Kegolasso, where right now on YouTube and then wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pod, and make sure to subscribe to the Kegolasso channel on YouTube, like I just mentioned. And then, of course, still to come this week, we're going to have me and Heath are going to be back with you tomorrow, live at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, as we do a November window debrief. So we can get back into this. If we didn't answer your question today. Come back tomorrow and we'll get into it. And we'll talk about everything that just happened. Obviously, some games are being played. We don't know what's going to happen in Canada, Mexico just yet. That should be interesting to see what the result ends up being there. We'll recap all that tomorrow. So come back 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. On Friday, we'll do a weekend preview and betting tips. That's for audio only. So make sure... You get our podcast wherever you like to get your podcast. And then on Sunday, we'll go live again here on YouTube, a live weekend recap of all the top games from all the big clubs around the world at 4 p.m. Eastern. It should be a lot of fun. Heath, as always, thank you so much for doing this with me. You are an absolute beast. Oh, thank you, man. All right. And for everybody else, yes, it might be some doom and gloom, but we got a point away from home. Let's take it's it. It's not Let's doom and gloom. It. It's not doom and gloom. It's, everything's good. Let's go. Everything's good. Rainbows and positive vibes. Yes, only good vibes. I'm Jimmy Conrad for Heath Pierce and our producer, Des Norris. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.